Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Skirtu. I'm a licensed marriage therapist in the state of Missouri and an ASEC certified sex therapist. And you can find me at www.therapistinstlouis.com. Now today I'm interviewing Don, is it Wildgrub? Wildgrooby. Wildgrooby. I should have asked before doing that, but I never do. It doesn't make any difference. <laughs> well, it's good to have you on the show today, Don. So, um... I hear a lot of interesting things about you. Why don't you tell me a little bit about um, who you are and your experience in the poly movement, so to speak? <laughs> well, I first got into the poly movement when I joined Church of All Worlds. Now, I met Tim or uh, uh, Oberon in 71. And who? So nobody knows any of these things. So I want to stop you and just ask. Okay. So um, the poly movement is the polyamory world. What's yeah. the church of the? You said church, church of, of all worlds. What's the church of our worlds? The church of all worlds is the first pagan church in in uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, that was uh, incorporated. Okay. It, it's uh, based on a science fiction story, Stranger in a Strange Land. Okay. And we take the what Robert Heinlein has talked about in there with a lot of other things. Like, for instance, uh, in the book, somebody asked him about God. Mm-hmm. And he said that God was the highest level of aware consciousness of any living being. Mm. And so we took that as we're all gods. Oh. Or gods in training, whatever. And that, well, he was he was at um, Missouri U at that time. Uh, not Missouri, uh, um, I forgot where it was. But anyhow, they were taking courses in in psychology, and he got involved in Maslow's talk about the 15 positive qualities of self-actualization and realizing that self-actualization would be a god if you want to talk. Is it possible to become a god then? <laughs> well, everybody is. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> paganism. So if well, you like to be a god... <laughs> well, it's not everybody, but everything, every living thing is, lives up to what they should be. I see. So it's kind of like, you know, with the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, like yeah. at the top of the needs is self-actualization, kind right. of coming into who you are. Right. And so it does it, is it mean then essentially that like when you become kind of godlike, it's like you've come to your full self in some way? Yeah. Uh, there's another book called The Master Game by Robert Durop that, talk, that talks about becoming part of the master game. And about how people live on the lower sections of it. And then there's the low games and the high games. And that a lot of times the low games influence the high games. Mm -hmm. But the entire thing is to become self-actualized or working towards it. Why do you think it's so important to be self-actualized? Well, it simplifies a lot of things. (laughs) In what way? (laughs) Well, you can see through a lot of bullcrap. Mm. with people uh you're more aware of what's going on around you and you're well it's it's just being completely who you are 
Okay, so it's a little bit of a statement on authenticity. Yeah. Like, this is who I am fully in myself. Yeah. With some pagan ritualisticness to it, I'm sure. <laughs> well. Because, <laughs> well, you know, I have, a, I have a very interesting listener group, um, people from all walks of life, but a lot of times people who are very uh, scientific in their thought process. So sometimes, regardless of what the religion is that's bringing it, they can be a little like, wait a second. <laughs> well, I, I consider myself... Uh, a spiritual pagan atheist. All right. So, <laughs> that sounds real fun. <laughs> kind of complex. <laughs> yeah. So I believe in more or less godhood for everybody and everything. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't accept these ideas of God that a lot of people have, you know. Like what kind of ideas? Well, I, I, my my feeling is that gods are mainly archetypes. Okay. Different archetypes, you know. Like a profile. Yeah. I see. So really, it's different word phrasings, but basically right. to mean, you know, like how do you become your most authentic self and get over the bullshit in life and essentially get to a point where you don't care as much about what other people think about you, but you just be your full self. Yeah. Well, so tell me about polyamory so that you you were one of the first people in the movement of polyamory. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't called polyamory at that time. It was just open relationships. Okay. And it became a little bit more codified with Church of All Worlds in that in that the word no means no, no matter what. Okay. You can be in the middle of things, and if she says no, it stops right there. So there's a lot of things that we have worked with along those lines, and it was later on that, that the term... Polyamory was coined by Morning Glory. Yeah, she wrote a paper. It's available online mm-hmm. through caw.org um, called A Bouquet of Lovers. Okay. And she talks about polyamory there, about the getting rid of, getting rid of jealousy and realizing uh, your love for other people. That you can have multiple loves. Yeah. How does one get rid of jealousy? I, I get this question asked a lot in, <laughs> in sessions, whether people are open or not. Like jealousy is a really difficult well, emotion you, to work through. Well, you have to realize what what jealousy oh. is. And jealousy is uh, being concerned about yourself that you're not getting enough. Uh-huh. Or that you're not enough as a person. You're, you're insecure. It's an anxiety. Yeah. And once you get over the idea of the insecurities and realize that you can love other people and you can have sex with other people, but that doesn't mean you're stopping it from someone else. Or because your partner has it doesn't mean that you're not, you're not going to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And, Chris, that's later on where the idea of... Um, I just had the word in my mouth. Compersion? Yeah, compersion comes in. Yeah. Yeah. Realizing that you're happy for your partner when your partner's happy. Mm-hmm. And of course, that comes, also comes from Heinlein in his definition of love is that condition in which another person's, another person's happiness is essential to your own. Mm-hmm. Kind of like we're all connected, you know, yeah. that like if if you do something to add love and happiness out there, right. then it comes back 
tenfold. Right, yeah. Really. Um, I've definitely seen that with my clients and, and individuals who are exploring the idea of polyamory and open relationships, the sense of, like, one, they have to really face all their demons, that's for sure. <laughs> but two, yeah. they have... Oh, go on, what were we going to say? <laughs> no, I just remember when, when my wife and I first got into this, I think we took turns in being jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Your turn, sir. <laughs> and when we finally got over it then... I gotcha. Well, you still have to work through it. It's yeah. an anxiety like any other anxiety, right? So whenever you're feeling that sense of jealousy or fear, you have to figure out where it comes from, what it right. means. One thing I've read a lot in these books is about how jealousy is kind of an umbrella emotion for deeper things like right. feelings of insecurity or feelings of abandonment or you know, all the billion emotions that jealousy hides, right, essentially. Right, yeah. <laughs> so what are some of the things you think people could learn from polyamory? that's a hard one yeah go ahead and answer fix the world (laughs) the thing is is that all people are unique and all people are different and you need to relish in these differences okay um sometimes you hit it off with a person sometimes you won't Mm -hmm. there are certain people that just rub me the wrong way that i'll never have anything to do with and it's other people that I immediately feel attracted to. Mm-hmm. But where the attraction goes to is up to the two people. Mm-hmm. Well, and I like what you said earlier about how important it was. I mean, essentially it was a consent conversation, right? About like if a woman says no, that really means no. I wonder during that time, was that was that a challenge? Because um, I, I know that in history, women have not always actually had the permission to consent um, in different ways capacities. So I'm curious what your thoughts are about well consent and that particular part of things. Well, <clears throat> we had to take it as face value. I know there's other people that take it as a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a couple of people in Church of All Worlds that were like that, that were drummed out of the course, more or less speak. And they said, no, you know, we don't want your kind around here because of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, in general, no men, no. And I think when you get people on the same wavelength, there's less of a chance of saying no. Mm. And if it's said, it's understood that, no, something's wrong here. We need to take things slowly. We need to change things and so on. So there's even like more of a, a discussion around are we even on the same page? Right. Right. Yeah. Like even to get into these different circumstances, it's not just rushing in and, and having one night stands, but it's right. like really trying to understand this person and what they need to even be willing to say yes. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. I think a lot of people dating now uh, aren't very good at this and not intentionally, but I think, you know, we are in a world where people are kind of wanting to have one night stands or, you know, you're dating and, you know, we're sexual people. So I understand that. But I I do feel like in dating culture these days, people just don't know each other at a deeper level. I wonder what your thoughts are. And if you know anybody dating right now. (laughs) No, um, no, uh, the people that I associate with are people that I want to get to know. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in a large apartment building, and <laughs> I really only have one f- real close friend there. I've got a lot of acquaintances, but no one that I really need to know that that well. 
if we talk and we get to know each other, then that's different. Mm-hmm. But you know, I I don't. Well, there's some people that rub me the wrong way, and I just don't want to spend time talking to them. Mm-hmm. Well, that might be part of being self-actualized here too. <laughs> You're only going to take so many people in. <laughs> yeah, there's a woman that that I was talking with. And she used to challenge me on everything. And I would come over with facts and figures, but then she would challenge me on something else. And then I realized that she wasn't really interested in learning anything. Mm -hmm. She was interested in arguing. Mm. So I said, no, um, forget it. I don't want to talk to you anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> You're open to the, o- the open discourse of like discussing and learning and growing, but not just arguing for the sake of arguing. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, so what was it like in the beginning of the movement? What I, I, I actually am not as familiar with the history of how it's evolved, so I'm curious if you could speak to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the old days, <laughs> we would meet over at Tim's or Overround's house, or, yeah. And we would have our little meeting there. Our meeting would consist of maybe um, different readings, uh, spiritual type of things, you know, and then munchies afterwards. Always munchies. That's required for any religion. <laughs> well, there were other things that helped along with the munchies too. Sure. And Tim would go into his bedroom. And he had a big paper mache ball hanging from the side from the ceiling, and he would turn it on, and he would announce the ballroom was open. <laughs> so, if anybody wanted to go off, you know, and use this, you know, and we sat around and talked, and every once in a while, a couple of people would get up and say, "Well, you know, they go, go to the ballroom, <laughs> go off for a while, and come back." All right, but it was. There was no jealousies there, and nobody looked at them and askance or anything. So it was just something natural that was happening. Mm. How do you think that the movements changed over time? Um, I think instead of keeping things simple, people are making up a lot of rules, a lot of different things. And that don't mean a whole lot. Now, some things are good, like, for instance, with with the Church of All Worlds, uh, they generally have a condom compact in that the people that you're with all the time, if you know you're safe with all them and everybody's been tested, everything is okay. But if you go outside that circle, you must use a condom. Okay. Or you're ostracized until you're retested. Okay. Like... Basically, you know, hey, keep us all safe. and Yeah. All right. But what kinds of, I mean, since you mentioned it, what kinds of rules do you think are complicating things? Well, <laughs> I really don't know because I don't pay attention to them. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I like. I know friends that I like. And if we talk and, and we get along real fine, if things happen after that, they happen after that. But I don't like to make any rules about you should do this, you shouldn't do that, and so on. It's it's generally it's generally being okay with the person and them being okay with you. Well, and it sounds like also being okay with each of you being individuals and having right. your own rules and managing yourself. Right. 
And talk. Mm-hmm. Talk a lot. You know, one thing that this reminds me of, I've been dealing with a lot of anxiety with my clients over the last, mm-hmm. well, I mean forever always, but like in this last week, I've been thinking a lot about it, right? And two of the most common responses to anxiety, one is avoidance, and one is trying to control every factor associated with the situation. <laughs> yeah. So when you mentioned like the rules that maybe are unnecessary, I was thinking about well, jealousy is a form of anxiety. And so I think sometimes people are probably trying to micromanage the situation to get comfortable with it rather than hitting the deeper point, which is what do you need to feel comfortable as a person to really love and allow your partner or partners, plurals, to be their own individuals? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think avoidance is is one of the main things Mm -hmm. is people get allow their their background or upbringing to rule who they are and so they avoid a situation. I've seen, well, I'm a therapist, so we're always asking something about your mommy or your daddy issues. (laughs) (laughs) Or your strict upbringing and so on. Oh, yeah. That definitely impacts how people are today. Would you be willing to talk about your upbringing at all? Yeah, it was very strict. Okay. Like, yeah, how did you come become who you are today? How'd you grow up? My my father... (laughs) My father used to beat me with a razor strap or with a belt, and I really didn't didn't care for him at all. It was after he died <clears throat> that my mother and I were talking, and said that that my grandfather was a wife beater. Oh wow! And so my father got rid of beating his wife, but he still beat me. And that's the way I brought. I was brought up, and I brought up with my kids. We had five kids. One of my kids was in diapers, and I just swatted him just slightly, and he kind of went berserk. And I thought, something's wrong here. Mm-hmm. And from that day on, I never touched my kids that way. Mm-hmm. And I was in Church of the Worlds at that time, and we decided something different. <clears throat> Whenever my kids needed punishing, I sent them to timeout, mm-hmm. and then I would go up there and we'd talk about, was I fair, was I wrong, was I right, whatever, and, and we talked about it, and that's the way I raised my kids after that. Mm, that's really special. Mm. You know, I, that's that particular issue is just a very hard one for my heart because I really do see spanking as child abuse, and I know it that is. people don't. Because people are raised to be justified in that, you know, there's a whole world of people who say, well, this is a reasonable form of discipline that they feel justified in doing it. But I've seen all of the research and it it points to low self-esteem in children. Um, It makes happy children angry and it doesn't teach doesn't teach children how to stand up for themselves or how to manage their own emotions. If anything, it just wrecks their emotions. Well, what does it do to them as as adults? Oh, a lot. If you don't like this, I'm going to have a war. I'm going to fight. I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. And that's the wrong thing that children should learn, I think. I agree. Well, I think, I mean, I've seen a lot of the outcome of it from adults. And um, I mean, my, my the thing that I always think about is that even as adults, so I'm a sex therapist, sex positive therapist, and adults, even as adults, we have to consent to whether you're going to get a spanking from an, another adult at the same power level, right? Right. Um, But kids can't consent to that. So you're essentially taking away their right and their voice. Um, 
Discipline, yes, is there to help people to make better decisions, but smacking somebody or hitting somebody doesn't help somebody make a better decision. It just causes pain and fear. Big part of discipline to me is helping people really think about their choices and then act well, in appropriate ways as a result. Well, that, that's, that's the whole thing. I remember one day <clears throat> my daughter came in. She was in her teens at that time. And she came in late. And she came in the room and I had people around her. I started bawling her out for being late. I looked at her eyes and her eyes had glazed over. Mm-hmm. She had been drinking. <laughs> I said, go to bed. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, even in that situation, she wasn't ready to really listen until right, later. Yeah. <laughs> so she didn't hear what I was saying. <laughs> well, Don, it's been really good talking with you. Are there any final thoughts that you have that you just want to share with people about, I don't know, love, life, polyamory? Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy. All right. Well, um, did you have anything you wanted to plug, by the way? I always offer people a chance at the end here if something's coming up, an event or anything. Well, every first weekend in June is a pagan picnic. Okay. Come on and see us at Pagan Picnic at Targo Park. And you find all kinds of pagans. Some are good, some are bad, but you find all kinds of pagans there. What time does that happen? Usually from about 10 o'clock until about 7 on Saturday and Sunday, Mm -hmm. uh, the first weekend in June. All right. Well, that sounds great. So you have been listening to www.aboutsexpodcast.com. And if you want to find me as a therapist, visit www.therapistinsaintlouis.com. You can also check out my books, Helping Couples Overcome Infidelity or Premarital Counseling. Feel free to email your questions to aboutsexpodcast at gmail.com, and we may just answer them online. I'm your host, Angela Skirtu. Stay kinky, St. Louis.